Welcome, it's indisputable, I'm your host, Rashad Ritchie. Good to be with you, we have a lot on the agenda today. Helping me break down all of this news, my contributor, none other than Dr. Jonathan Mitzel. Thank you so much for being with us. We have a fascinating individual, break down all of this fascinating news. Top story of the day, the family of Malcolm X will now sue the CIA, the FBI, the NYPD because of the claim. These entities engaged in a conspiracy. Judges also believe this happened as well. I'm going to give you some background and significant insight into why this is not outside of the statute of limitation and why the evidence is there today. It was not there before. Let me first take you to the video of the daughter. Here it is. Now, at the very place where he was killed, his daughter says she wants answers. For years, our family has fought for the truth to come to light concerning his murder. And we'd like our father to receive the justice that he deserves. This man. Thomas Hagen was convicted of killing Malcolm X, along with two other men who were later acquitted. Black people should realize that freedom is something that they have when they're born. The family of Malcolm X accuses various government bodies, including the FBI and CIA, of failing to prevent his wrongful death. It's also claimed they concealed evidence that would have cleared the two men who were wrongly convicted of his murder. And so for this great injustice, we will be filing a wrongful death lawsuit against these governmental entities for $100 million. I have much more background. Some of you may already be asking, can you even sue the CIA? Yes and no, I will explain that during my presentation of this story. Late prominent civil rights leader, Malcolm X, his family will now file a wrongful death lawsuit against the New York Police Department, the CIA, the FBI, and the state of New York for their alleged role in the assassination of Malcolm X. The $100 million wrongful death lawsuit accuses the government agencies of fraudulent concealment of evidence. That's an important dynamic of this case surrounding the murdered civil rights icons death. Now, they're suing for fraudulent cover up, concealment. This is how you get things into court. You don't sue based on rumor or things you cannot actually prove based on evidence readily available. For example, for decades, it has been echoed that a coordinated attempt by all of these agencies led to the assassination of Malcolm X. Well, that may be true. However, when it comes to filing a court case, you get in based on the evidence you already have. They have the evidence of criminal concealment. I will explain that in just a moment. There's more. The lawsuit comes a little over three months after New York settled lawsuits filed by two men 
wrongfully convicted of murdering the Muslim leader. And on the 58th anniversary of his death, the civil rights attorney Ben Crump, who was representing the family, said the exonerated man's lawsuit that claimed the FBI, NYPD, and the New York District Attorney fraudulently concealed evidence made way for Malcolm X's daughter to seek legal redress. This is important based on the government's admission that they concealed evidence involving the assassination of Malcolm X. The truth of what happened and who was involved has always been critical, Crump said Tuesday. Follow the information. Benjamin Crump, attorney at law, is saying because of this case before, which went down in 2021, because of a ruling from a judge in recent history, it provided the evidence required in order to move forward with this case. There will be some bumps in the road. There's more. Malcolm X was assassinated at the Autobahn Ballroom in Manhattan. This was 1965. Crump and his co-counsel Ray Hamlin argued that the leader's daughters were traumatized after seeing their father shot 21 times by a group of men. Malcolm left behind six daughters. His daughter Malika Shabazz died in November 2021. Where I'm about to take you provides significant connection to the then and the now. Put up the picture of the letter written by a former NYPD undercover officer. The letter you're looking at was from 2011. The man who wrote it, according to the estate, is Raymond Wood. Raymond Wood was a black undercover NYPD agent. He wrote this letter as a dying bed confession. It was delivered to the family by the administrator of his estate, another family member with the last name Wood. Raymond Wood, who is now deceased. Crump said Raymond Wood was an undercover officer who was used by the NYPD to infiltrate and discredit Black leaders and civil rights organizations in the 1960s and in the 1970s. In this deathbed dying confession, he implicates that the NYPD and the FBI conspired to assassinate Malcolm X. Crump said, adding that the letter indicates Malcolm X's death was orchestrated by the government. There's more. This was back in 2021, all right? The family of Malcolm X has made a public letter attributed to a now deceased former New York Police Department officer in which ex-cop, the ex-cop claimed the police and the FBI were behind the assassination in 1965. This was revealed by Wood that he was pressured by his supervisors. Who are his supervisors? The police, the NYPD, according to him, in the department to get members of Malcolm X's security detail to commit crime. Understand the strategy here. He says this was orchestrated by his handlers, all right? In order 
for them to arrest the security of Malcolm X. There's more, uh, so that the security would be unable to manage the door security at the ballroom on the day of the assassination. Under the direction of my handlers, the letter says, I was told to encourage leaders and members of the civil rights groups to commit felonious acts, Woods letter stated. The Statue of Liberty bombing plot was Woods supervisor's idea, he said. The plot was publicized on the 16th of February, days before Malcolm X's murder. Walter Bowe and Khalil Saeed, two key members of the orator security detail were arrested. At that time, he says, I was not aware, I was not aware Malcolm X was the target, Wood wrote. Officer Wood puts together an amazing tapestry of events. Now remember, he was an under cover officer. He was in possession of information that could have very well been either a completely confidential given the rules of undercover work or even classified. He gave a deathbed confession, said do not deliver this letter until I am dead. Some may ask why did he not stand up during his life? According to the administrator of the estate, they threatened to arrest Mr. Wood and pin drug trafficking charges on him if he ever spoke out about what happened. As a matter of fact, according to the administrator of the estate, if he even quit the department, they were going to charge him with illegal narcotics trafficking. So his silence was self. Preservation, back to the question in reference to the CIA, can you sue them? The short answer is yes, the long answer is, but you may not get far, here's why. There's a doctrine known as state privilege, secret state privilege or state secret privilege, which allows the CIA to basically say, we can't give you that information because it's a matter of national security. This is not a law, there's no federal statute. Courts have interpreted this doctrine to be an extension of presidential authority or a presidential executive action. That extension or that interpretation of this extension of presidential power allows the CIA to administratively decide what information comes out, and what information does not. All right, we will bring you details as they continue to develop. Doc, I know you know a lot about this, all right? I would like to hear your sentiment on the suit that's being filed shortly. A couple things. I mean, I'm so glad this is happening. You, you, you kind of think that there's stories like this that are happening, but you honestly never get to look under the hood. And so think of all the other assassinations like Martin Luther King, for example, that you just think maybe there's some kind of conspiracy, Doesn't things don't add, add up. I don't have any details, but it's just like this, this is important for the family. It's important for this particular case. It's important because it shows you the threat that Malcolm X posed to society, but it also shows you the coordinated nature of this of this kind of assassination where they were 
um, arresting his guards the day before. Um, this was a time when there were really tight gun laws. You couldn't just carry a gun around. And so getting guns and just carrying guns into a hall like this. And so it just shows you the systemic nature of, of things like this. I'm so glad this is happening again to write a historical injustice, really a state-sponsored murder. Um, but I also think it's important just because, because I think that we have questions about so many similar acts of political violence. And I think really the public has a right to know. So hopefully yeah. this case will open the door for, for learning about other cases. Yeah, and we're going to continue following the case. I do find it ironic that at the time of his assassination, he had a change, he had an overview that was different than when he started with the Nation of Islam. When he went on his pilgrimage, he came back with a different point of view. He no longer called white people the devil because he said, I went somewhere where white people were my brother. That created a dissension. For some reason, that's when the government got really involved. When he decided to look at the world from a different point of view. All right, we will continue bringing you updates. Okay, Memphis, a man has been charged with eating potato chips because he had crumbs on his mouth. He did not steal the chips, ladies and gentlemen. Let's put up the picture full mask. This is an insane miscarriage of justice, in my opinion. In Memphis, Tennessee, a 36-year-old Joseph Braswell was taken into custody after Memphis police say he ate two bags of chips that someone else had stolen from the store. Now you may wonder, well, did he know the person that stole the chips? No, Braswell was charged with theft of merchandise less than $1,000. He was released on his own recognizance on Tuesday morning. That means the judge knew this was a BS charge and did not even charge the man money to get out of jail. According to WREG, CBS 3 Memphis, on the 9th of this month, February, a man got into an argument with a Circle K store clerk in Parkway Village because she would not sell him beer. The man got upset, then took an entire display of chips and put them into his car, all right? While walking away with the display of chips, a few of the bags fell on the ground as the clerk followed the man out of the store. You're looking at the scene right there. After the suspect drove off, Mr. Braswell picked up two bags of chips that had fallen. The chips were valued at $4.98 total. Minutes later, officers found Braswell with crumbs on his face. Police reviewed video footage and concluded that Braswell was aware of the theft. That's what I'm talking about, fellas. Real police work there. It's silly as hell. Okay, $4.98. Chips are on the ground. They come to the scene. And what do the Memphis police do? They waste time reviewing video about who picked up the damn bags of chips, rather than finding the individuals who engaged in what they would consider, I guess, a high crime. Maybe all of the chips together, what, 100 bucks probably? The man had crumbs on his face. And so that launched the investigation. 
There's more. Braswell's mother says she doesn't believe it was necessary to arrest him, the store manager. Melanie Jackson said it is not about the bag or the bags of chips that were stolen. It is more about a pattern of stealing that she is concerned could run her out of business. She says small crimes like these are why so many businesses have left the area. Madam, please understand the man who was arrested did not steal your chips. Theft requires intent, theft requires mens rea. Formulation, the idea that I'm going to go and steal chips from a commercial entity. That is not what he did at all, but he got arrested for it and you're standing by it. Doesn't make sense to me. There's more. Braswell mother says she just wants to get him the help he needs. I called the crisis center, I called the police department. She said, I tried to get him assessed and every time he goes downtown for something like this, they never assess him. Um, police are still looking for the man who drove off with the chips. And she wants an assessment because she believes he needs help, all right? Once again, the police decide a man, a black man, crumbs on his face. We must review the video to arrest him for $4.89 Memphis. It's insane. Do you wonder why people don't like the police? This is part of it right here because none of us can understand this. I mean, really think about it. And to the officers involved, you wouldn't understand it either if it happened to somebody in your family or if it happened to you or to one of your children. You would have said something like, the officer could have let that go. You didn't even steal the chips. But all of a sudden, when you put on that uniform, it seems as if your understanding of basic humanity evaporates. This is part of the reason why there's an us and them relationship with law enforcement. I want to help you all, I really do. I provide an opportunity right here on this show every day, a blueprint to get you back to the place that you were supposed to be, a place of public safety, not policing, a place of servant leadership and not dictatorship. That is the original design as it should have been, but it was not. It was something totally different. It was a way to regulate black bodies and protect white companies. That was the original design of law enforcement. Don't carry out the design. Break it, all right? Change it. Doc, what are your thoughts here? There was no crime. Uh, he didn't steal any chips. There were chips on the ground. Uh, maybe there's a story about the police saying, gosh, I'll just buy you two bags of chips and let's just actually go up to the guy who really stole the chips. I didn't see that story. Maybe that story doesn't make it to the news. We only see stories like this. But I, I completely agree with you. This is a, this is exactly the kind of story that requires compassion. Compassion is really what's required here. Um, somebody's hungry, two bags of chips is what, like less than $2, something like that. Um, so buy the man some chips, don't arrest him. And, and I just think you're exactly right that in a way, the kind of compassionate enforcement that, that was required, which again, maybe maybe that happens and, and we just don't see it because it, it doesn't make the news and it's not click, clickable. But I would just say, here's somebody who's hungry and needs help. And he didn't commit the damn crime, exactly as you say. Go after yeah. the guy who actually stole the stuff. And what's so interesting, and you make a great point, uh, police officers are not bound to arrest for misdemeanors. They're not. There's no mandate to arrest for misdemeanors that did not happen in their presence, meaning they did not witness it personally. They do not have a duty or a mandate to arrest. They can also write a ticket if they choose. But here's the other side of what you laid out for us. If one of the officers would have said, listen, come on. Madam store clerk, it's 
two potato chips, two bags. I'm gonna go ahead and pay for these. I'm gonna buy a few more things for the guy. We're gonna try to get him help. That would have changed the whole narrative of this story. Something that simple, right? Okay, grand jury member. This is a hell of a thing. The forewoman who was in charge of investigating Donald Trump and others has basically said, yep, Trump is gonna get indicted. All right, put up a picture for a mask. 30 year old, for a woman, Emil Kors spoke to the New York Times after the Georgia special purpose grand jury recommended indictments for multiple people on a range of charges in his final report, most of which is still sealed. What does she say? Her quote, it is not a short list, Kors said in an interview. Kors declined to name people recommended for indictment since the judge handling the case decided to keep those details secret when he made public a few sections of the report last week. And that was Judge McBurney. But seven sections that are still under wraps deal with indictment recommendations according to Ms. Kors. While special grand juries in Georgia do not have indictment powers, Fulton County DA Bonnie Willis has led the investigation and will decide what charges to bring before a regular grand jury. So keep the DA up for just a moment because I wanna make sure we're very clear about how this works. In the state of Georgia, by way of state constitution, you cannot convene a special purpose grand jury that has the power to also indict. The reason is because these grand juries have significant power. They are able to exist for a 12 month period. They are able to investigate whatever they choose and they are able to subpoena basically whatever they want, okay? Broad range of power. Because of that, the constitution says we have to limit that power by not allowing this type of grand jury to indict. So a normative grand jury has to be brought in with recommendations presented from the special purpose grand jury in order to secure an indictment. This is all being done by the books is my point. Ask whether the jurors had recommended indicting Mr. Trump. This is where it gets interesting. Ms. Kors would not answer directly, but said, and I quote, you're not going to be shocked. It's not rocket science. In the slim portions of the report that were released last week, the jurors said they saw possible evidence of perjury by one or more witnesses who testified before them. It is not going to be some giant plot twist, she added. You probably have a fair idea of what may be in there. I'm trying very hard to say that delicately. The investigation in Atlanta has been seen as one of the most significant legal threats to Mr. Trump as he begins another run for the presidency. The focal point of the Atlanta inquiry uh, is this call made on January 2nd, 2021 uh, to Brad Raffensperger, who serves and still serves, he served and still serves as the chief elections officer uh, and secretary of state for Georgia. Here it is. So look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 
11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. But you did not win the state. And the way the statute is written in Georgia law, there's one statute that says if a citizen tries to do it, there's another statute if a government official attempts to do it. And then there's a misdemeanor version and felony version of those particular statutes. It seems as if possibly the writing is on the wall. And based on the interview that this four person of the jury gave, it indicates an indictment will be recommended. Doc, thoughts here? I think the jury system is amazing. It, you know, everyday citizens have a right to judge people and, and even the most powerful among us. Um, so I, I think you know, the jury system is a hallmark of American democracy. Every time this forewoman opens her mouth, I get really nervous uh, <laughs> because, um, because you know, I, just, I have not seen a forewoman do all these media interviews at this early stage before we know what the charges are and things like that. So I appreciate the New York Times wanted the story, CNN wanted the story, other places wanted the story. Um, but the more this woman talks, the more, you know, it just, I feel like, you know, a lot of work has gone into this. This jury, this grand jury was impaneled for eight months. Yeah. A lot of work. Um, and it seems like nothing, you know, top secret has been revealed yet. But I just think, like, let's wait till the charges come out. But this, this could be a significant development for Trump, but also for the 2024 presidential election, of course. Yep, we shall see. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. Welcome back, lot up, show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. Um, thank you everyone for joining the conversation, okay? What we got? Interesting. Um, Mickey C, the silver haired dragon, next the assassination of Fred Hampton. That's right, that's the next stop. All right, um, Mo Fury, not saying they shouldn't get paid, just confused. Is this true? Then they murdered him. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there is no statute of limitation on murder. Should this not also be taken to criminal court? Sorry if I got ahead of you, you are going to answer this question. Um, you are correct on the murder uh, statute. There's no statute of limitation for um, murder at all. Uh, but this is not a murder charge. Uh, this is a civil case. But it is interesting. This is kind of a side note. Out of everyone who was involved, the only faces that we are aware of are black faces, not the white handlers who coordinated it. We have no faces for them, okay? So this court case will likely start to expose the actual operators behind the scenes. Uh, Biden flavor corn pop God, like the cops arresting that woman for finding a $50 bill. Yep, all right, let's go. Um, I think this is Swadane Dragon, sorry if I mispronounced that, but we appreciate you. Thank you for being a member for two months. Does the president have authority to order them to release the information? Of course, of course he does. Um, even if it is a, an issue of national security or classified for some reason, yeah, he has the executive order to do, he has the executive ability to write that order. All right, uh, Progressive Canuck, AKA Maple Syrup Dragon, member for eight months, all right. I thank you for the continued support. Okay, got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're, you're I feel free. Free.
has been deemed across the pond Karen. Let's put up this Karen in all of her glory. Whoa. According to the TikToker who witnessed this Karen, wow, she launched the broccoli right on my face. We live in a society now where we are afraid to speak up, it seems. What led to the Karen freak out? Uh, this woman, according to the TikToker, this woman was screaming and shouting at an innocent man just for going on his phone at the self checkout saying he was taking too long. Nobody wanted to speak up to protect him. So I speak up and I say, calm down and get fully attacked. This woman is an example of our society and people need to be more calm and friendly to others. Sad little life, she has to be abusive to people around her. Horrible, the TikToker, right? She thought she could boss this innocent man around. Why? She decided to target him for going on his phone and the way she was speaking to him, it was not right. And I needed to speak up as I couldn't stand the way she was talking to him. A poor daughter, too, having to witness all that negativity, disgusting behavior. I'm in shock on a Sunday afternoon, and this happens. Yeah, uh, we appreciate you standing up for another person. I echo all the time that this is part of the process of becoming a better community, a better nation, and really a better version of our humanity. Okay, all right, Doc, thoughts here? Two, uh, first of all, I studied gun safety, as you know. Uh, uh, in other countries, people get mad and they whip out broccoli. Uh, All right. So uh, I would just say, you know, that that, that just shows you, like, the, the, in in the United States, you don't know what somebody's going to whip out. And so the fact that like this catastrophic argument then leads to a vegetable being swung, I just shows you kind of the level of trauma that we live with in our country. I yeah. live in a place where people are attacking you with broccoli. And number two, just the global reach of your effort to instill civility. <laughs> so it's great to see people globally taking videos and then sending sending them to you um, because I think behavior like this needs to be to be called out where, wherever it happens. And so yeah. it's great to see a, a global a global Karen initiative. <laughs> there you go. Uh anti Karen initiative. Yeah, there yeah. you go. All right. I got a question. What in the red state Hell, 
You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. I've been a Christian since I was young, born again when I was younger, but been worldly, had a lot of problems. I'm not perfect. But I got to tell you, it happened to Mark Dice, it happened to me, it happened to a bunch of other people I talked to. Before you're offered a national TV show, before you're offered a major record deal, they get you in a room and they say, listen, we want you to reject Jesus Christ and pledge yourself to Lucifer. And it was an off-record meeting with me when it happened. It happened twice. Mark Dice tells the story because it wasn't an off-the-record meeting. It was with the largest, um, the largest reality TV show production company out there. And, and, it, and it happened to Mark Dice. When he told me about it, I believed it because it happened to me. It's happened to uh, Eric Muller, Mancal Muller. Uh, it's happened to a bunch of other people I know. And you're sitting there in the meeting with people in a high-rise building around an office table, and you're like, are you kidding? They're like, no, we're very serious. And we need you to reject Christ and pledge yourself to Lucifer. And I tell viewers that story, you know, 20 years ago, and they go, that, that, that's, that, that, that's insane. No, that really happened. Wait a minute, everybody. I know what you're thinking. Alex Jones is off his rocker. I gotta tell you, when I got hired at TYT, Jank took me to a conference room. And he said, in order to get this job, I have to denounce Alex Jones. Similar situation. <laughs> Similar situation. All right. Um, did you notice that the man said this was an off-record conversation and it happened twice? So, Alex, when they told you you had to denounce Jesus and um, ally yourself with uh, the devil, why did you take the second meeting? I just got questions. All right, Doc. I mean, maybe that happened to him, but I can guarantee you it is not a normative tradition. Um, and I do have a question. Why would someone take the second meeting if they weren't at least considering allying themselves with uh, Lucifer? And he looks like he's in a Lucifer theme room. Right? He's, <laughs> right. got like, he's got like the Lucifer black light poster behind him, the whole like red and black stuff. So he's really playing it up. Um, I guess I have two thoughts about this. I mean, I'm Jewish and I feel like, man, non-Jews are got some stuff going on right now um so that that was part of it and then and then i don't know i feel like if somebody's gonna ask me to present my soul to lucifer it's gonna be more like i mean i'm at a university like do you want to be like on the personnel committee or the supplies committee that's that's kind of the lucifer theme that we have it's not like a record deal or something like that so yeah, yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna try this as a hiring strategy maybe going forward and see see if it works maybe it works so. all right we'll see um and also, Alex Jones, why are you afraid to say the name of the company that did it? it sounds, I mean, I, I, these things are not adding up, so we need to know this stuff. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Always good to be with you. Let me read some of these comments. Biden flavor corn pop. Some British and UK citizens like to tell me racism is worse in America than the UK. They are wrong, very, very wrong. Okay, Lynn says, is that why when so many award winners go up to the podium, the first thing they do is thank God? That's a good one. All right, look at this. Um, so 
Chaplain Fred, AKA Prayer Dragon, big ups to you. Always good to hear from you. Um, was gifted a membership by Natural Born Keeler. Oh, thank you so much, Natural Born Keeler, always. Um, Funk Dragon 76 was gifted a membership by, I think this is Rylan Inn. Thank you for that. Joy Johnson was gifted a membership by Gabby Mathis. Thank you, Gabby. Tammy Birch was gifted a membership uh, by Rylan Inn as well. Uh, Karen Belcher was gifted a membership by Dragon Heart. Uh, Queenie 97 was gifted by Scott Smith. Uh, and Faye was gifted by Dragon Heart. Look at all these gifts. Look at that. So very thankful for every single one of you, okay? All right. A GOP representative argued that it is actually better if a child is abused and killed. I kid you not. Here it is. You know, in the case where child abuse is fatal, it, obviously it's not good for the child, but it's actually a benefit to society because there aren't needed for government services and whatnot over the whole course of that child's life. Through the chair, can you say that again to say a benefit for society? Um, talking dollars. Now you've got yes. a, a $1.5 million price tag here for uh, victims of fatal child abuse. Um, it, it gets argued periodically that it's actually um, a cost savings because that child is not going to need any of those government services that uh, they might otherwise um, you know, be entitled to receive and, and need based on you know, growing up in this type of environment. Through the chair, uh, Representative, I guess that would be the idea, if I can use a really bad analogy, when you hit somebody, always back up because uh, it's cheaper to insurance. I don't pertain to that, and I'm really, uh, I'm not even sure how to answer that, that there's a cost saving to, uh, to the death of a child. The impact that that has on a family and us as a society when a child is lost, especially to child abuse and neglect, is unmeasurable. Uh, and it's uh, it's hugely tragic. Yeah, follow up. Follow up. And uh, the way that you're calculating this 1.5 million, and when I say you, I mean the, the people who did calculate it. Um, does that 1.5 million get higher or lower um, depending upon the age at which the child uh, is killed? This is why I cannot be a politician. I would have flipped chairs and everything in that room. All right, let's put them up. The man who says. It's cheaper to kill them, talking about children. This is in Alaska. Republican Representative David Eastman is his name. He has now sparked outrage online for his statements suggesting whether there could be economic benefits from the death of abused children. Eastman asked a series of questions during a Monday House Judiciary Committee on adverse childhood experiences, such as physical and sexual abuse on children or growing up in a household marred by domestic violence and how they can negatively affect a person throughout their lives. Now, let me say this um, to Eastman. I think you are short sighted here. I'm going to try to give you some education and insight. Instead of looking at the byproduct, how about you look at the catalyst or what we would call the genesis of the problem? While you're looking at the cost for the protection, the therapy that may be required for a child, what about the preventative cost 
before it got to that point. What about heart in the public dollars? You see, we're not taxed because we need the government to have a bunch of money. We're not taxed because the government is going to invest our coins and give us a windfall of money. We are taxed so the government can provide services to those who need it. I cannot think of any greater need than an innocent abused child. And sir, you are elected by the people to make policy decisions based on service and not revenue. There's more. As part of the presentation, documents given to lawmakers estimated that the that when a child abuse is fatal, it could cost the family and broader society 1.5 million in terms of trauma and what the child could potentially have earned over their lifetime. Eastman said that he had heard an argument on occasion that when child abuse is fatal, it could economically benefit society. Let's go to Representative Cliff Grow. Democrat Anchorage was disturbed by Eastman's line of questioning after working as a prosecutor on child abuse cases. Representative Andrew Gray, a Democrat, later recounted he and his husband had adopted their child from the foster care system who had several adverse childhood experiences. He said it may not have been intended, but the implication from Eastman's comments was that his child was better off dead. Representative Sarah Vance, Republican out of Homer, who chairs the House Judiciary Committee, thanked Gray for sharing his story, but never, but neither Vance nor Eastman apologized, nor has the leadership of the Republican dominated House Majority Caucus yet met to discuss whether Eastman will be punished for his comments. Vance, an abortion opponent, said she could not speak for Eastman, but she believed that he was trying to make a pro-life argument, really. She said many people consider abortion to be child abuse, but that abortion supporters have said terminating a pregnancy could be a better option than raising a child in difficult circumstances that is called spin. According to Self Financial Incorporated, here's what Americans will pay over a lifetime in taxes. Here it is, the average American will pay Four hundred and eighty thousand four hundred and seven in taxes throughout their lifetime. That's an average of thirty four point four nine percent of all lifetime earnings spent on taxes. Tax on earnings is where most tax will come from, and the average American paying uh, paying two hundred and fifty five thousand three sixty four in a lifetime. Owning a car will cost an additional twenty six thousand plus in tax payments alone. Across the average, nine point four cars owned in a lifetime tax. On property will set you back an additional 174,251 above the property price and maintenance. Okay. All right. Everything comes down to an economic configuration for many. Uh, we do not elect bean counters, we elect public servants. That's the idea. We would like the money you take from us to go to service for those who need it. I don't see how you missed that, Representative. I don't see where you lost that point. But I am glad that at least some of your colleagues are trying to help you find it again. Doc, thoughts here. This is an extreme and really shocking um, example of a logic that I also saw when I was writing my book, Dying of Whiteness. Mm. Um, 
where I, I was studying Tennessee and I kept asking like, why not expand Medicaid and, and provide healthcare for everybody? Now it wasn't quite this overt, but time and again, I heard the message that basically it's cheaper to let certain people die than it is to provide services for them. And the logic people kept telling me it was to protect society, exactly like this guy said. Um, this idea that basically if we pay for those other people, the, you know, for a lot of people it was immigrants or undeserving minorities or, or something like that, that it's going to bankrupt the entire system. And so they would cut away prevention services. They would not support Medicaid expansion, which we still don't have in Tennessee. And in my book, I just did the math exactly like you just did there. And I said, like, what's the system cost? Um, what's the system cost of not giving basic prevention? And believe it or not, I found exactly the same thing that you just found, which is that um, the cost to everybody was so much greater. The entire yep. system started to fail. People would go to the emergency department when they could have been going for preventative checks, which yep. was much more expensive. People got sick. They waited till they went to the doctor for really severe illnesses. And so the entire system falls apart. But there is this Republican ethos, I think, of deserving people versus undeserving people. Who are we going to pay with with our tax dollars, not recognizing that everybody pays tax dollars? Um, and so I just think that, again, this is a very extreme example. But I would just ask people to think about other examples where this, where basically the argument of politics is supporting people is is against our economic interests and that it's cheaper to let people die. And unfortunately, this is not the only instance. Yep, very well said, Doc. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back, a lot of show left. Let me read some of these comments. Cannot read them all, but very thankful for every single one of them, okay? All right, uh, not Dweezil, AKA Tail Wagon Dragon says, I think I have opened the airlock cause this Eastman one needs to go, right? A natural born Keeler, thank you for that. We are great dragon related family at TYT and we have to get more people into our righteous boat. Uh, and thank you for doing that. You have gifted a lot of folks and we appreciate you and follow the example, all right? Follow the example, Keeler sets the way, I appreciate you very much. Cedric Johnson, welcome to Indisputable, thank you. Meredith Relani, oh, Relina, excuse me, Dragon Putvin, member for one month. Doc, I be flipping that table along with you, all right? How do these people get away with this evil? I'm glad I got at least one table flipper with me, all right? We will happily ride to jail together, okay? All right, it's always good to have somebody on your side. Um, one more. Twitch, GOP rep argues child abuse deaths benefit society. Jax Drax says, he cares so much for the children. That's exactly, you realize when he makes an official statement, that's what he's going to say. Okay, what else can he say at this point? All right, the cops beat, torture a black male for having the audacity to date a white woman. Jackson, Mississippi, put up the picture for mass. Now, I'm going to go to one of the lawyers representing the men sharing the details of what happened. Here it is. On January 23rd in Rankin County, Mississippi, without showing a warrant, cops burst into a home. Two black men lay inside, Brother Michael Jenkins and Brother Terrell. 
They were falsely accused by this six white officers of dating white women and selling drugs. And that wasn't true. The two were immediately subdued and handcuffed in the residence. But instead of taking the handcuffed men into immediate custody for their alleged crime, the six white cops decided they would hold the men hostage and terrorize them for nearly two hours inside the home. While the men were handcuffed and bound, these six Rankin County white cops beat the men while they were handcuffed, tased the men repeatedly while they were handcuffed, punched, slapped, and beat the men while they were handcuffed, and incredibly, the white officers used waterboarding tactics in this raid. Then in the course of this torture and physical abuse and humiliation, Rankin County sheriffs were both putting guns to both men's head, threatening to kill them while handcuffed. Then tragedy struck when one of the sheriffs shot Michael Jenkins in the mouth. Yes, the cop shot Michael in his mouth, almost killing him, causing him life-threatening injuries, and Michael has been in ICU and had to have his tongue removed from his mouth. Let's put a, the picture full mass again. In Jackson, Mississippi, two black men claimed they were tortured, beaten, and shot by Mississippi police. You just heard Michael Jenkins lawyer describe how his client was handled by the Mississippi police in question. The Rankin County Sheriff's Office gave few details, but said Jenkins was charged with assaulting an officer and drug possession. Parker has been charged with drug possession or possession of paraphernalia, excuse me, and disorderly conduct. Rankin County Sheriff Brian Bailey said in a statement that he immediately sought a state investigation. Here's the quote, rest assured, if any deputy or suspect involved in this incident is found to have broken the law, he will be held accountable in accordance with the law, the sheriff said. Bailey did not respond to written requests about whether the deputies had a warrant or if the deputies involved had been placed on administrative leave, according to the Associated Press. The Justice Department is now getting involved. The Justice Department released a statement following the news conference saying its Civil Rights Division, along with the local FBI and federal prosecutors in Mississippi, have opened federal civil rights investigation. Bailey Martin, a spokesperson for the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, said the state agency also is investigating the shooting. She declined further comment. The family of Michael Jenkins, they have opened up a GoFundMe. Medical fees are out of this world. If you would like to provide some support, this is your opportunity. You can donate directly, all right? Very sad and likely all very true, okay? Now, a lot of things are unanswered. The reason for the engagement, uh, the evidence recovered or not, uh, individuals who were there who should not have been, 
a lot of questions. You have a man in the hospital, according to the narrative, their actual crime is dating white women in Mississippi. This is 2023. I am somewhat, somewhat glad that the federal government is involved in this one early. Typically, that means they know way more than we do. Doc, thoughts here? Well, people do this because they get away with it. And, and we just hear these cases. And so every time I'm on the show, there's another one of these cases where something like this that's so egregious that ties into all these historical fault lines about race. You know, you think, of course, about the Emmett Till narrative that's running through a story like this. And then you just have to wonder how many other cases do we not hear about? And and the theme of your show so often is why don't people trust the authorities and police are working for their interests? It's because of stories like this. And so this is horrible. It ties into all these horrible um, historical fault lines. And it also offers an opportunity for police to come out and say, we're going to reform. This is not who we are. This is not who we stand for. So every time that we do something like this, there's an opportunity and, and yet, every time we talk, there's an, another one of these stories. Yeah, we have to continue to shine light in places of darkness. Transparency is required for us to move forward as a society, all right? Everybody's part of that transparency process, or at least you can be. I said I couldn't tell with your mask on. Are you new to Albuquerque? You know what, this isn't gonna work out. I'm not gonna pick you up. I'm, I'm not. I'm not picking you up. I need to get home. Well, well, that's great, but I'm not picking you up. Hey, don't be hitting my car. What is wrong with you? Don't you be hitting my car? What's your What's your problem? What is your problem? I need a ride home. Well, that's great, but I'm not gonna pick up somebody that's rude. Hey, are you freaking kidding me? No, she's not kidding. So he approached her and here's what she said. Are you freaking kidding me? What, what, why would you hit my car? Why would you, why would you hit my car with your shopping cart? Because when you're being rude, ma'am, you are being rude. I just asked if you were new in town. No, I'm not rude, but I'm not gonna pick up somebody that is rude. You hit my car with the shopping cart. I know I did. Why would you do that? What is wrong with you? Because I wasn't getting my way and I need a ride home. Well, obviously you have a problem. Why would I put you in my car when you're acting this way? You're going to be charged. Okay. Wow. Um, you hit my car. I know I did. Um, why did you hit my car? I wasn't getting my way. You're going to be charged. Okay. Wow. People, this is much more serious than we thought. There was a time when we believed that Karen's could only come in the form of denial of responsibility. The Karen's have evolved to terminate a Karen, not giving a damn about taking the responsibility or not. Yeah, I did it. It was me, call the police. Jackson, this is disturbing information, Jackson. She evolved like a Pokemon, you know. She, <laughs> she, she went through just the perfect situation, and then the Pokemon like and they turn white, and then they like just transform all of a sudden. That's that's what happened with this Karen.
But uh, yeah, I mean, hey, like she said, she wasn't getting her way. But you know, uh, that's probably not going to get your way had in the long run. You might get banned from using Uber altogether. I mean, yeah. a lot a lot of the time I'll call Uber and like Uber, they have like a habit, I guess, of like not really telling their drivers where they're going because I live up here in Jersey. And anytime I'll call, they'll be like, are you going to New York? Are you going to New York? Like, don't you see that? And then they'll be like, I can't take you, can't take you. But, uh, you know, throwing my luggage at their car probably won't make them be like, you know what? I'm sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll take you. I'll actually do that. That's right. Yeah, you won't get what you're trying to get. And here's the thing, <clears throat> literally, you could just call another one, right? right? They're, they're always, what, three to 10 minutes away, depending on your area. Uh, you just don't freak out about one person when you can literally just wait a couple more minutes. Okay, fatal, a white Philly teen, 18 years of age, shoots a Temple University cop in the face. Put up the two pictures for mass, hell of a story and very sad. Officer Chris Fitzgerald, 31, was gunned down on the 18th of February by an 18 year old Miles Pfeffer. The officer was married and had four children ranging from 14 to seven. Fitzgerald's father was a former Philadelphia police officer. Person who allegedly did this is facing charges of murder, murder of a law enforcement officer, robbery, carjacking and weapons crimes. Let me give you background on what happened. The shooting happened around 7 p.m. After Fitzgerald attempted to stop three people near the boundary of the university campus for reasons that remain unclear at this time. Pfeffer was among the three, according to police reports. By the time Fitzgerald neared the group, one individual had walked away and the other two began running. Those two were Pfeffer and his younger brother, according to investigators. When the younger brother ducked into an alleyway, Fitzgerald kept chasing the primary person, Pfeffer. This is how the encounter turned fatal. At some point during this encounter, Fitzgerald and the teen are thought to have engaged in a brief struggle. The teen, who was white, fired at the officer, which was caught on surveillance video WTXF reports. The officer reportedly fell to the ground. The teen, the 18 year old, stood over him and fired several more shots in the face and head area. After the shooting, this 18 year old reportedly sifted through Fitzgerald's pockets and tried to take his gun. An action police say was caught on body camera. Affidavits say after the shooting, this 18 year old Pfeffer then carjacked another person, okay? The 18 year old was heard saying on video and I quote, give me the keys or I'll kill you during the carjacking. He reportedly then fled the scene before calling his mother who picked him up in the city and drove him back to their 20 acre Boxley farm property in rural Bucks County, Pennsylvania. How was he apprehended? Uh, this 18 year old, um, Violent criminal lived on a large property. Where authorities told WTXF the teen had a history of run ins with the police. With the police. 
Pfeffer, whose social media depicts him showing off his motorcycle and other shots spanning bands of currency, previously had been charged with making terroristic threats in connection with bomb threats at the Bucks County High School last year. On the morning of February 19th, several law enforcement agencies tracked him down to his home. Upon his arrest, he was handcuffed with the cuffs that belonged to Fitzgerald. Now, I'm asking people to help the family of the officer who endured this. There's the GoFundMe, police officer Chris Fitzgerald, right? This is a tragedy that nobody should have to face. Naturally, the person who did this was apprehended with absolutely no issue. Um, the family is struggling. And for all of those who say, oh, Doc is just anti police, never have been. I'm anti bad cop. Always have been and always will be anti bad cop. I have contributions that I give to benevolent funds that take care of families of slain officers who are doing their actual jobs. And they get killed in line of duty. I've been doing that for eight years. Not something I proclaim, not anything to shout, just what I do. So I encourage those um, who are moved by the story to provide some assistance to this family who did not deserve what happened. All right, Doc, thoughts here. Horrible story in, in every way possible, a, a, a murder of another human then robbed a dead person um, and took the cuffs, took the gun. Um, I'm glad this person was caught. I hope they get the most severe punishment possible. Um, I also want to hi highlight that this was a campus police. Um, and I, we work, yeah, I'm at Vanderbilt, you know, very closely with the camp campus police here. And campus police have such a hard job anyway, because they're tasked with keeping campuses safe, um, temples and you know, urban area in, in Philadelphia. So the task of keeping college campuses safe is a particular, particularly difficult um, job um, in this moment because, you know, it used to be like, here's the safety bubble that we like to provide in college. But now the GOP has pushed all this stuff like, you know, campus carry and let's get some more guns on campus and arm the teachers and stuff like that. So campuses themselves really struggle with safety. And so I want to highlight that, you know, we really need to support, we really need to support campus police a, a lot more than we do. And I think they're they're unsafe in these examples by just trying to stop criminals from, you know, getting onto campus. Um, but they're also unsafe by a lot of the policies that we have that just lets the proliferation of guns um, into fraternity parties and yep. into classrooms and things like that. So campus police is really a, a much more dangerous job than it used to be because not just of criminals, but because of policies that make it too easy for guns to, or encourage guns to flow onto college campuses right now. There you go. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Still, we got a lot of show left, okay? Let me read a few of these comments. Um, thank you, um, Lisa Cabrera, really appreciate you. Um, she says, thank you for all you do, and I thank you for all you do, all right? Thank you so much for that. This is not going to be easy for me. Last week, last week, one of my mentors passed away. His name was Tommy Dorch, Jr. Um, and then 
a few days after that, my other mentor passed away, Bishop James H. Morton. It was difficult back to back. What I wanna do is pay a proper tribute to what these men have meant to me, what they instilled inside of me, and much of what I give you is connected to what they gave me. Let's put up the picture of me and Tommy at a game together. Uh, He's sitting right on top. He was always gracious, humble. He was not only my personal mentor, he mentored me in business conversations, life, social issues, advocacy. He also was a very successful businessman that gave millions to colleges across the United States of America. Let's put up the picture of Tommy with one of the big checks that he gave to Clark Atlanta University. I was actually there the day he gave this check. On the day he gave that $1 million that you're looking at right there, I was walking across that stage receiving my doctoral degree from Clark Atlanta University. He was on the board of trustees. There are 10 things I want you to know about this amazing man. Tommy Deutsch Jr., Atlantic civic leader and businessman. He died on February 15th at the age of 72. Deutsch was the former CEO of 100 Black Men of America and was highly influential in the African American community. For every black person, there are a few things to know about Deutsch and frankly, for every person, period. Deutsch made history as the first black man to become the chief administrator for United States Senator. In 1990, Deutsch became the state director and served as chief administrator for Sam Nunn. He was the first African-American to serve in this capacity for any US Senator. He also became the first associate director of the Georgia Democratic Party in 1974. The Democratic Party of Georgia is the affiliate of the Democratic National Party. It is one of the two major political parties in the state. Deutsch served also as the national chairman of 100 Black Men of America for six terms. The mission of the 100 Black Men of America is to improve the quality of life by supporting and enhancing educational and economic opportunities for African Americans. The concept of the 100 began in 1963 in New York City when a group of African American men explored ways of improving conditions in their communities. Throughout his time, he raised nearly $100 million for the corporation over his 20 year tenure. The majority of the funding for the 100 comes from corporations, foundations and individuals like Tommy Deutsch himself. The program also offers scholarships to scholars who are affiliated with the chapter. Tommy Deutsch also the businessman founded the National Black College Alumni Hall of Fame. I was actually inducted into that Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. The foundation is dedicated to sustaining and growing HBCUs through alumni recognition, scholarships, training and technical assistance. To promote humanitarian involvement. Their goal is to advance the reality of HBCUs that are valuable treasures and critical resources. Deutsch believed in the aim deeply. He co-founded the Georgia Association of Minority Entrepreneurs. 
The Association of Minority Entrepreneurs was founded in 1981. It stands as a local resource for all minority-led businesses and groups. They aim to reduce and eliminate discrimination against minorities. He was also the co-founder of the Greater Atlanta Economic Alliance. The Greater Atlanta Economic Alliance was formed in 2000 as an educational tool to increase the business capacity of small female minority owned firms. The Alliance has become the premier communication outreach, technical assistance and training program geared towards Atlanta's construction company. He also became an author writing and publishing the book, The Miracles of Mentoring, How to Encourage and Lead Future Generations. He was awarded the Martin Luther King Jr. Distinguished Service Award. He was also the recipient of the Concerned Black Clergy Salute to Black Fathers Leadership Award. You can find this and a whole lot more about Tommy Dorch at rollingout.com. We made sure that his legacy is well intact and well placed within the confines of that publication. There's so much more I could say about Tommy. It's a good man. And there's another good man. This man <clears throat> baptized me when I was 11. Um, after he baptized me, um, I literally became a worse version of myself. I did. I was a juvenile delinquent, had many adverse encounters with the police, was in and out of foster care. But he remained steady, never judged me. Loved me through it, provided guidance, and he had a wisdom about himself. The wisdom of Bishop James H. Morton was this. Stop, stop worrying about what's not important and only focus on what is. That's a rarity in church. He did some things inside of his ministry that other preachers simply do not do. For example, he did not care if you joined his church. And he would say it clearly, this is not about you joining a church or man or ministry. It's just about you having a value system, get the most out of life. He had traditionalist ways, but he also had some extremely progressive policies that set him apart from many in Christian ministry. The nationally known pastor and musician, from a prominent family of ministers preached and sang to his congregation at New Beginning Full Gospel Baptist Church in Decatur and led it and led it in multiple ministries to the homeless and to other needy people for 30 years. Despite his success, Bishop Morton was a humble man, said Elder Sean Bryant, an assistant minister. He usually wore a white shirt and a plain black suit. He bought off the rack, nothing tailored for him. Morton gave his own home phone number to church members and encouraged them to call when they needed him. He had a big church, but gave his cell number to everybody. If Morton spotted someone asking for money while riding through the community, the man would get out of his car. And give them everything. I saw him do it. 
and that's where I get it from. Here's a segment for any sermons. I don't care how many people came, how many family members came to your house for Christmas. If just one of them ain't got peace, ain't nobody in that house gonna have peace. So tell them if you want peace, you better help me get mine. You need to help me say, Jesus. And besides, those of you who are telling me to hush, I bet you can see. Those of you who are telling me to hush, I bet your rent is paid. Those of you who are telling me to hush, I bet ain't nobody trying to find your car. He was always an advocate, always a man of wisdom. And many times that put him at odds with traditionalist thinking inside of the Christian church. One thing out of many I respected about him um, to both of you, love you, miss you dearly. All right, Doc, you know the importance of good, decent mentorship, especially in your line of work. What are your thoughts? Well, thank you so much for those beautiful tributes. I'm just honored to hear, to listen, just, just like I'm sure many people listening are right now. And your tribute to the impact that, that these men had in your lives and to your kind of living on um, with their values. I mean, that, that's the goal of, of mentorship is to instill yeah. values. That will then live on. And so, thank you, thank you for this. Thank you for this. Um, I am too. I'm, I'm the result of amazing mentors, and hearing you makes me want to just call them right now and, and tell them the role that, that that they've had in my lives, and 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 also just the importance for all of us of carrying that message forward, being great mentors, being great leaders, because th- these things matter. And and I think the powerful thing about your story is is. Don't give up on people. Those, That's right. Those, those messages matter and, and really can make such a huge difference. So just honestly, deeply, thank you so much. Thank you, Doc. Listen, for everyone who watches this, be thankful for your mentors. Give them flowers while they are here. Sometimes grief is described as unexpressed love. I have some unexpressed love that I did not show these men while they were here because I just assumed They always would be. If you want to change the world, find you some folks to mentor. That is your key to transforming this entire planet. All right, remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember the truth is always indisputable.